Well, how was, how, that's a great start. It's a great start right there. there we, only good things. It can only go up from here. How is everybody doing today? Castle Rock, Lakewood, Highlands Ranch, how are you guys? People watching online, we are so glad that all of you are uh, here with us. And it is my honor and privilege to actually get to conclude this series called Unorthodox. Has it been incredible? Well, I know I heard Lakewood louder than here, but it's been amazing, hasn't it? Well, I got a lot of information to go over, so we're going to jump right in. So I'm just going to open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this series and and the way that you have challenged us and the way that you have uh, used uh, the teachers of this series to kind of just speak into our hearts via the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray exactly that right now, that your Holy Spirit would lead me. Uh, One of the greatest things that we see in Jesus' life is that he only did what you instructed him to do. And so, Lord, I pray right now that I would hear your voice, hear your heart, and I would only communicate, and I only would only share what you are asking me to share. And so, Lord, as I do that, I pray that it would penetrate and it would uh, touch the hearts and the lives of every person. Here's what happened when Jesus did it. People's lives were changed. And, Lord, I pray that as I speak this message this weekend, people's lives will be changed. God, we ask you to come in and change our lives, and we thank you for doing so in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, um, if you are brand new here, or maybe this is your first weekend in a while, this is part seven of a series called Unorthodox. And what we've done in the previous six weeks is uh, the teaching team has tackled different characters from the Old Testament. Uh, We talked about Daniel, we talked about Esther, and we talked about Joseph. And for me personally, this has been just an incredible, incredible series. Um, I think there's two things that I want to share just real quickly that has really impacted my heart. And the first one is this. Um, All three of those individuals, Daniel, Esther, Joseph, all three of them, um, they did things that I think that we would consider quite unorthodox. And as the teaching team has been teaching that, I have found myself going, wow, what are the things that God might be asking me to do that might be a little unorthodox? And I've just been challenged personally in my life in what that looks like on a day-to-day basis. Um, The second thing that has really hit my heart uh, in the middle of this is that all three of those individuals um, and this was quite shocking to me, actually, as we were discussing, discussing it as a teaching team. Um, all three of those individuals, um, they were very selective on the hills that they would die on. Does that make sense? They were very, here's my thought. I thought, oh, we're going to teach this unorthodox series. We're going to talk about living in a culture that is getting more and more godless. And we are living in a culture that is getting more and more godless. And um, I thought, oh, man, we're going to find out from these stories and from reading these, the different things that we need to stand up for and the things that we need to, uh, you know, fight for and what we need to say. And I have been shocked as I've read through the stories with the teaching team to find out that there weren't very many things that they were willing to die for. And as a matter of fact, Pastor John brought out, you know, one of the things, for instance, Daniel, you know what, he went into the, the teaching and learning about astrology, which was, you know, predicting the future by the stars and all of those things. And um, the Bible clearly speaks against that. And I love what Pastor John said. He said, you know, the Bible clearly speaks against doing it, but did not speak anything about learning it. And I would just like, 
wow, that is amazing. And so I've been just really incredibly challenged in my own personal life, and I don't know about you, but in my personal life, what are the things, what are the hills, what are the things that I feel like the Lord is telling me to die for? Because you know what? We live in a time and we live in a society and we live in churches, to be honest with you, we've picked crazy things to die for, like the color of the carpet needs to be. Like on whether the pastor speaks too long or too short or uh, what clothes he's wearing or uh, what clothes he's not wearing, whether he walks around too much, whether he doesn't walk around enough, where he shouts at you or he's too quiet. All of these different things that we decide that this is so important that we will leave a church for or we will battle people for. Is really? And I think that's really kind of what has shocked me. And so then um, I felt like the Lord told me to get out of the Old Testament and to actually go into the New Testament. And so what I'm going to share with you today is, <laughs> and pray for me, because I have 30 minutes. I have 30 minutes to take the entire New Testament and show you all the different unorthodox ways that it went on with Jesus, the disciples, and ultimately I want to bring it back to how do we live our lives today. And so those, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about Jesus, I'm going to talk about the disciples, and then I'm going to end with what does it look like for us today. So let's jump in. Let's talk about Jesus real quick. Um, as I was getting ready to, to do this message, I went online and I looked up unorthodox and, and I looked up uh, just different things about him possibly being uh, kind of unorthodox in his ways. And I found a book uh, that was called Sacrilege. Sacrilege. And so I ordered it and uh, I, I've been reading through it, and I'm about three-quarters of the way through. But in the very first chapter, there's a quote that I want to read to you. And I want, as I read this to you, I want you to really mull it over. How does it sit with you when I read this quote? I think they have it on the screen. Okay, here's the quote. Jesus' ability to influence the hearts of man and women, child and king, prostitute, peasant, and priest was greatly due to his sacrilegious ways of behaving, speaking, listening, loving, and living. <laughs> Quiet rumbles of amen and yeah over here. I, I got to be honest with you. The first time I read through this, it, there was something in me that kind of was a little irritated about that. I was like, ah, I don't, I don't know. But here we are in the middle of this unorthodox series. Let me read it a different way for you. Jesus' ability to influence the hearts of man and women, child and king, prostitute, peasant, and priest was greatly due to his unorthodox ways of behaving, speaking, listening, loving, and living. Does that sit better? Yes. You know, here's the truth. What he says, the author here in this book, I think is actually absolutely 100% true because the religious leaders of the day, that's what they got so mad about in regards to Jesus was the sacrilegious ways that he was living. But wait a second, Jesus is God, right? So he can't be sacrilegious huh? unless it's a man-made religion that he is stepping and insulting all over the place. Now, you and I as Christians are to be Christ-like, right? So by the end of this, I'm hoping that you will be sacrilegious as well. Not according to God, 
not according to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but I want you to be sacrilegious in regards to the religious leaders of today and what people would say that you should do or what people say that you should behave like. And so let's look at our example, our walking, talking example that God gave to us in Jesus Christ, his son. He sends Jesus down, and I chose to go into the book of John. Uh, just, a, just a quick uh, a picture of the Gospels. Uh, Matthew wrote to the Jews, okay? Mark wrote predominantly to the Romans. Luke wrote predominantly to the Greeks. But John wrote to everybody. He wanted everybody to realize that Jesus was God. He was the son of God and, and wanted to let everybody know the impact of Jesus in his life. He starts, in the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. And, and that's how he starts his writings. And so I'm going to look through just John and there's all kinds of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I'm just going to look through this in different ways that Jesus was unorthodox, or using this quote, uh, that Jesus was sacrilegious in the eyes of the Pharisees. And I'm going to start with the very first miracle. And you can find it in John chapter 2. And it starts actually in verse 1, but I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. And it says this, when the wine was gone, hold on. We're talking about wine, Pastor Dan? Yep, we're going to talk about wine, okay? And we're going to talk about what Jesus did and what the Pharisees saw and what took place here. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus replies, woman, why do you involve me? Pastor John has made many jokes about that. Uh, when your mom goes and, and starts telling you to do stuff, you end up doing it, don't you? Well, he says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Oh, I, whole other side message, but man, can a parent call out something in you that maybe you're not ready to go for? And as a parent, you can call things out of your kids that maybe they don't think they're ready for. But here we go. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, totally disregarded what Jesus said, and went right to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. So Jesus says, okay, here we go. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding, now I want you to catch this, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the what? Brim. Brim. Now, just in case somebody doesn't know what that means, it means all the way to the top. Okay, there's not any space left in these 20 to 30 gallon jars, all six of them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Don't go yet, go back. Okay, now I want to I talk real quick about this. Um, 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, he's about to turn 20 to 30 gallons of water into wine. Okay, now picture the Pharisees watching this. Now let's put it today. Some of you, and I'm, I don't want to show hands, but some of you would struggle if I showed up at your house with a, a bottle of wine. How could you do that? And people have left churches because of that, thinking, oh my gosh, how sacrilegious that person or that pastor was. Let me give you the equivalent of what these jars equaled in bottles of wine. 
They ran out of wine. Now, <laughs> okay, I, my wife asked me to count up how many weddings I've done recently. I have done, since I've been in ministry, 138 weddings. I've been to several different uh, receptions. I've been to uh, very conservative receptions. I've been to open bar receptions. This was a very open bar reception. <laughs> They ran out of wine, okay? Jesus' mother gets involved, okay? And Jesus, here's what he doesn't do. These people shouldn't be drinking anyways. Don't involve me. I don't want any part of this. It's not what he does. And that's what many of people, I'm not going to say many of you, many people in church would say, hey, that's what we need. That's our stance. That's our hill we battle on. Jesus makes 600 to 900 bottles of wine. <laughs> and adds it to the open bar that ran out. You see why the Pharisees might have had a problem? All right, let's go on. They did this. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Um, the guests were at this place. Let's call it what it is. They were drunk. And the master of ceremony says, that's when people usually bring out the cheaper wine, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Jesus chose, Jesus chose that his first miracle and the first thing to bring out his glory and how he was going to impact this world was to make 600 to 900 bottles of wine to distribute at a party in which everyone was drunk. I'm just reading the Bible. Now, it finishes by saying this, and his disciples believed in him. Amen! And his disciples, you know what? The thing that Jesus did over and over and over again was these sacrilegious, unorthodox things that the Pharisees were going nuts about and the people were, of the world were drawn to them like, like metal to magnet or magnet to metal. How are you doing with that? Now listen, I don't want to talk about drinking... A, whether you should drink or, oh, Pastor Dan's saying it's okay to I, Man, that is for a different time, a different day. What I want you to realize is what Jesus did right here as his first miracle to begin the process of his ministry. He goes on then. I don't have much time, but so I'm just going to fly through these. He goes on in John chapter 2, and he clears out the temple. Um, and if you read this, he comes in and sees what's going on. And he, I mean, it says he binds a cord together, creates a whip, and he just starts whipping things, and tables are turning over, and man, he is super irritated, super upset. Um, what if somebody came into church today and started just flipping tables and throwing chairs around? We would like, you are crazy, and get out of here. And that's, 
that, that was right after he turned water into wine. That's the next thing that, I mean, it's in the same chapter even. Then he, you know, he feeds 5,000 and he goes through different things. And then you pick up in John chapter 4. And <coughs> you read this story where Jesus and the disciples have to go. And it's funny because the Bible says they have, they had to go. Almost like it wasn't their preferred way, but they had to go through Samaria. See, Jews weren't allowed to interact with Samaritans. And so they had to go through Samaria. And Jesus stops at, at this well. And many of you know this story, but he begins to talk t- to this woman as the disciples went off to run a little errand. And he starts talking to this Samaritan woman. And he says, bring your husband. And she goes, I don't have one. He goes, yeah, I know you have five. And, uh, and, and you know, just that entire story. Um, but a couple things that, that I just, wow, it came to me was um, the woman herself goes, how can you be talking to me? How can you be talking to me? Because you know what? Every other religious leader would say that what you are doing is sacrilegious. You are not supposed to talk to me. And yet Jesus said, hey, I don't care. This is what the Father is telling me to do. And so I'm going to talk to you. The disciples come back. And this is what the Bible says about this. It says um, that the disciples were surprised to see Jesus talk to the Samaritan woman. They were surprised. Why? Because it was unorthodox. Oh, so much to go. I, I got to keep going, though. All right, how about this? John chapter 5, 1 through 10, is the story about man, uh, Jesus healing an invalid man who had been invalid for 38 years. He goes to him and, and says, pick up your mat and walk. And this enrages the Pharisees because he's walking with his mat on Sabbath. And I felt like the Lord, as I was studying and going through this, felt like the Lord told me to just say this real quick. How many of us miss the miracle of what God is doing because we think what is being done is done in the wrong way? Jesus did that all the time. And it's one of the reasons the Pharisees didn't like that. And as I'm teaching this, you know what? There's two different people in here. There's one person that's going like, ooh, I really like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's another, ooh, I don't know. Okay, we'll leave that. All right, John, John chapter 9, verse 6. Um, this is, <laughs> Jesus decides to heal a man um, who has uh, a blindness. <clears throat> now, uh, the disciple says, whose sin was this? Jesus said it, it wasn't his father's, mother or father's sin. It wasn't his sin. It was so that God could get glory. And this is how he heals the man. He spits in the mud. He makes a little mud pie, and he jams it in their face. Pretty unorthodox, in my opinion. And according to the Pharisees, incredibly sacrilegious to do something. He spit in dirt and stuck it in the guy's eye. How about John 14, 6? He says this, no one comes to the Father except through me. This lit the Pharisees up. He is claiming, it's one of the many verses in the Bible where he's claiming that he's God and that there's no other access to God except through him. And I'm going to stop just for a second. If you're here, maybe this is your first time or you've been wrestling and trying to investigate Christianity, there was a man that walked and talked on this planet. Historical documents prove it. His name is Jesus Christ. He was an incredibly unorthodox man. He created 600 to 900 bottles of wine for a wedding party. You would like him. 
He's an incredible man, but he claimed to be God. And the truth, and I don't have a whole lot of time to go into this, but the truth is this, you have to wrestle with who he said he was because he did walk and talk on this planet. And the Bible teaches and what Christians believe is that God sent this man, Jesus, that you would really like, that anyone who would confess him as their Lord and Savior could have eternal, everlasting life. And Jesus himself said he is the only way. And so if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I wanna encourage you, ask him into your heart. You are going to like him. You're going to like what he does in your life and he will change your life for the better. And he might do it in some pretty unorthodox ways. All right, so um, one of the things I love about Jesus is that he focused on healing people right and making them life's, their lives right with the Father. This, if we're supposed to be Christ-like, this is how we are supposed to live our lives. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to get a little messy to pull someone out of their filth? Are you willing to get a little messy to pull somebody out of their filth? You know, it is easier to point out a truth than to lead someone through or someone to the truth. It's so much easier to just point it out. But here's the truth. Church, sin is messy. It's messy. And don't be surprised when a godless world does godless things and they sin. And that that sin sometimes is incredibly messy. And how are those people going to have their lives changed unless you enter into that world and you get a little sacrilegious yourself in order to help them get through that messy area of their life and bring them to what Jesus wants them to understand, which is that he loves them and cares for them and has a purpose and a plan for them. And if you're not going to do it, then who is? Then who is? We have a whole bunch of people in church that would much rather point the finger and tell people what's wrong than rather get involved in people's lives and think about all the different issues in society. Pick one. And I'm going to talk about what we need to do and how we need to do it. Okay, real quick, the disciples. Um, <laughs> what does it look like for them? Um, listen to the tension they battled with. Um, this is an argument that they had in Acts. See, the Gentiles were starting to come to the Lord and starting to ask Jesus into their heart. And we find here in Acts chapter 15, uh, part of this, this discussion. Then some of the believers who had belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they're believers, but their background is pharisaical, okay? Tend to be a little legalistic. They believe in Christ now, still leaning that way, stood up and said, the Gentiles, and now get this, picture this, the Gentiles must be circumcised. That is the way of our fathers and our fathers' fathers and our fathers' fathers. They must be, do you get it? Okay, see, he's yelling too much. I don't like him. <laughs> the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question after much discussion. What a great way to put that. After much debate and argument and fighting. That's my Dan's paraphrase. Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from the lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do we try to test God by putting on their necks, get this, why do we do this by putting on their necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? 
the automatic response as these Gentiles were coming to Christ was to put a yoke that they themselves couldn't even carry. But let's put that on. Does that sound familiar? Man, don't we do this. We do this to a world that is hurting and lost and needs to know the freeing yoke of Jesus Christ, not the burden yoke of the law. By putting on the, ne the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we, we are saved just as they are. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult. That we should not make it difficult. That we should not make it difficult. Okay. For the Gentiles who are turning to God, instead we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. That was it. Four things. Right there. This is what we're going to ask them to do. The people read it. This was a few verses later when that letter was actually read at the church where these Gentiles were coming to the knowledge of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And this is what it says. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Paul writes in Romans chapter 14 that we shouldn't judge any man for what they eat, what they drink, or how they what ceremonies they or how they uh, participate in the ceremony. There was this tension that was going on even back in the early church uh, that when somebody comes to the Lord that, man, we need to start putting this yoke that, you know, here's what you got to do, da, 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 da. And um, right here, I love the fact that the Bible shows this out because here they had this debate. I, I bet it was heated. And they come out of it and they decide that there's really just four things. They should abstain from eating food that was given for idols. They should keep sexually moral, stay away from the immorality Sexually, they should not eat an animal that has been strangled, and they shouldn't drink or eat the blood of an animal. They said, that's it. And I put in your notes, um, <laughs> what isn't mentioned? Well, here's what's not mentioned. They didn't tell them how much they should read their Bible. They didn't tell them how much they should pray. They didn't tell them what clothes to wear. They didn't go into all of these little things that we go into. See, um, I, we were talking as a teacher team, and I can't remember who, who said it, but um, we like to make the minor things the major things. We try to earn our salvation. This is just human nature. We try to earn our salvation. By the way, it's what makes Christianity different from all the other religions out there, all the other belief systems. All the other belief systems say that they can earn nirvana or earn a place in heaven or earn, earn, earn. Christianity says because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, you can receive salvation by simply asking him into your heart and believing in him. It's what separates us from all of us. You know what the world needs? They need that message. They don't need the message that God hates them. They don't need the message that until you get cleaned up, you can't be any good. You know, we have a church, not again, church at large, we have a church that's going out there trying to clean fish before they catch them. Let that one sit for a little while. We try to earn our salvation and then we demand others to do the same. It's not our job. It's not our job. This is what Jesus does. 
Jesus is the one that cleanses. Jesus is the one that calls them. Jesus, you know what he wants from us? He wants us to be unorthodox. He wants us to be the light. He wants us to be the the salt of the earth so that people are attracted to you like metal to magnet, like they were to him. Let me ask you this. Who's attracted to you? Religious leaders or the people of the world? Okay, we'll let that one sit too. Oh, that one in my notes. Okay, so Jesus, I I mean, I think it's clear he was quite unorthodox. The disciples battled with it. And I believe that uh, more often than not, the unorthodox way won out for them. And they made it, they tried to make it super easy for people to follow the way and not difficult. So what does it look like today? How do we navigate? And this is what this whole series is about. How do we navigate the culture that we live in today? How do we as believers, what do we need to do? Pastor John said something very interesting at the end of his message two weeks ago. If you didn't hear it, go online and listen. But I'm going to talk about it for a little bit. He said this, that the pressure inside of us needs to be greater than the pressure out in the world. You know why people get upset about Christians going into some messy arenas or messy areas? The problem is that they're not very strong on the inside, and so they went into a messy situation and were influenced by that and actually drawn into that situation because the pressure on the inside of them wasn't strong enough to withhold the pressure that's coming on from the outside. See, Jesus, the pressure inside of Jesus... It was so strong. He heard from the heavenly father every single day. He stayed connected. He said things like, I only do what the father tells me to do. That tells me that the pressure inside of him was incredible. And then this is what Jesus did. He went to wedding receptions and made 600 to 900 bottles of wine. He went to tax collector's house, which is where all kinds of sin and filth was taking place. He let prostitutes wash over him with with oil. He let some of the most seedy people come into his life and he didn't push them away. He didn't cast them off. He actually embraced them, pulled them in, hugged them, and the Pharisees flipped out. So my question to you is this. Is the pressure inside of you greater than the pressure of the world? Because if it is, then God can start to speak to you and he can start to give you direction and he can start giving you some pretty unorthodoxical ways. How about this? How about sacrilegious ways? The people might actually look at you, what are you doing? But man, you just go, listen, I know that I know that the Lord has told me to do this. Think about this. When you have a calling, when you have a purpose inside of you, man, it lets you go into areas that there's unbelief. There's a guy, um, all of our men on the church staff have this program called Triple X Church on our computer, and it keeps an accountability of pornographic websites. The guy that started that, he actually has felt called by the Lord to learn about pornography, to basically ingest, not ingest, to to learn about, not participate, but learn about all that so that he could create programs and, and give teachings and different that can help men and women to overcome the sexual addiction of pornography. He goes to porn conferences. 
Here's a man whose internal calling is greater than the pressure of the world on the outside. Now, I'm not saying that every single one of us need to go. That's not what we're all called to. Here's, here, here's the tough thing about this. My calling and my internal pressure is different than your internal pressure and your calling. And we each have to be good at our own pressure, our own internal calling. And let's, let's stop doing this as a church. Let's stop taking what God has called me individually to do. Let's stop casting that out to everybody else. Here's what you're called to do. Get with God and find out what he created you to do. Get with God and find out your purpose and plan. Get with God and find out what unorthodox ways that he has for you so that people are attracted to not only you, but to Christ in you because you're so filled with him, the internal pressure is greater than the external coming in. Paul writes in Ephesians this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in you, your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Church, when we are filled with the incredible fullness of God, what happens then is that we can now go and get messy with people and we are not affected and we're not pulled into it and we're not dragged into it, but we actually become the salt and we become the light and we actually grab that person and we pull them through the muck and the mire and we bring them out to the savior that ultimately died so that they could have freedom from that messiness but we have got to be strengthened in our inner being first don't dare go do this without hearing from God first and getting your calling your purpose and getting that inner strength that's why we read our Bible. Now, you just told me that they didn't say, yeah, but it's a different motivation. Are you reading your Bible because somebody's telling you, you have to, did you read it an hour today? Or are you reading your Bible because you're like, ooh, I want to change this world, and so I got to get that inner man strengthened so that I can go out into the world. And you read and read and pray and pray, and you get yourself filled up, and you're like, okay, now, God, where do you want me to go? And you go where he leads you. Man, it's a completely different reason of why you're reading your Bible. I have to? Ooh, I get to. They told me to. God tells me so much when I do. Man, it's completely different. And so I'm going to finish by saying this. I'm going to read a section that Paul said, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. I think Paul understood this. This is what he says. You guys have it? I guess not. Okay, maybe that's just in my notes. Is it in your notes, 1 Corinthians 9? Okay, haha. <laughs> See, I added it after I did notes. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Paul says this, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make my say, myself a slave to everyone. Listen to why he does this. To win as many people as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. Though I, am I, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those that are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Listen to that. To those not having the law, sinners, 
I became like those who do not have the law. Then he says this, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. The pressure in me, I'm going to become like, but the pressure in me is stronger, so I can actually go into this. And then it says this, so as to win those not having the law. What, are they, what is he winning them to? Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. To the weak I become weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. He's doing this so that he might save some. It doesn't even say so that I will save some. He says that I might save some. And we know he did. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I asked a question on Facebook um, about a week and a half ago. And many of you know that I, I like to do that before I teach. And there was the question. I said, if the Bible says that God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus and that everybody can have eternal life with Jesus, why is it that so many people don't respond to that and don't receive that? And I had over 90 people comment. And I had great things that, that talked about, well, it's because Christians don't act like Jesus. They act like Pharisees. And, you know, just all kinds of different reasons. Um, but I had one in particular conversation with somebody actually offline, and they talked about, hey, listen, when is it that we as Christians, when is it that we start standing up for our rights? The world is going crazy and it's getting more and more godless and if we don't stand up then who's going to stand up and i totally understand where this person is coming from and i and i get it but here's here's what i know there are rights that we have but so many times we are comparing them to the bill of rights in our constitution and though that was inspired and Godly men were trying to write that. Here's the truth. It's not the word of God. It's the Bill of Rights, and it was a great way to establish our country, and we're trying to fight for these bills of rights. How about this? Why don't you fight for the right that God gave to you in the Bible? Now, I'm not getting too many shouts out because some of you are thinking, I don't know what those rights are. So let me just share and close with here's what your rights are. This is what I've read in my Bible. Church, you have the right to be called a child of God. Anyone who confesses Jesus is Lord and Savior and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. And when you make that profession, you have every right to call yourself a child of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the Most High God. You're his kid. You're his son. You're his daughter. Now, if you've never prayed that prayer, pray it. You can do it right now. You can do it on your way home. And guess what? You have the right at that moment to be called a child of God. Here's what that means. You have the right to have direct access to the heavenly father. Jesus said, I only do what the father tells me to do. You know why? Because he had access. Guess what? Every single one of us has direct access through the Holy Spirit to God. It's one of the greatest things about Jesus dying is that it ripped that veil open. We didn't have to hear from a high priest anymore. We could each hear from the Holy Spirit individually. And you have every right to have direct access to the father. 
and you have every right to hear for him what your purpose and plan and what your calling is. You have every right to hear where he's called you to go and what he's called you to do. Don't let another man tell you what God is telling you to do. You hear from God. Let's be a people that hear from God and go out into a messy world because we've heard from God and God has instructed us to go into these places. Now, there are things. We have the Bible. It's our guidebook. Man, I wish I had more time because there are certain things that the Bible says, no, that's not. If you say, well, God told me to kill somebody. No, he did not because that goes against the word of God. I want you to test what you're hearing and make sure that it lines up. If you don't know, come call me, email me. Let's, let's talk. But you have the right to have access to the Father. All right, now here's where it gets fun. You have the right to turn the other cheek. And you have the right to give a man your shirt when he asks for your coat. And you have the right to walk an extra mile when the Romans ask you to walk a mile. That's what the context was. The Romans would go, carry my stuff, and I want you to carry it for a mile. Jesus said, don't just carry it one, carry it two miles. You have the right to die to yourself to serve this world and other people. You have the right to take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. See, so many people think that we have these rights that we gotta fight for the truth. You know what? Let Jesus fight for the truth and you just do what Jesus asked you to do. Because here's what I have seen. When I humble myself and when I serve others and when I turn the other cheek and when I do unorthodoxical things that people go, why are you doing it? You should stand up. No, you know what? I'm gonna just turn the other. When you tip a waiter 25%, even though he was horrible, Oh, we stand up for our rights, don't we? Church, let's be a people that, man, God's kingdom was paradoxical. It was flipped upside down. You have the right, church, you have the right to get a little messy in order that some may be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word that you've given to, to us today. And God, I pray that you would help us to truly see that you sent your son as an example for us of how we should live our lives. And here's one thing that I recognize through studying this. Your son did not make the religious leaders happy. Your son listened to you. He did what you asked him to do and people were brought into the kingdom of heaven because of what he did. Lord, I pray that you would help me and you would help every person listening to me be a little bit better today at hearing your voice. And God, may the internal pressure inside of us be increased so much that nothing from the outside could penetrate in that because we know what we've been called to and we know what our purpose and plan is. And so Lord, I pray that every person listening to me right now would hear your Holy Spirit and hear your calling. And Lord, we thank you that we have that direct access to you. And we thank you that we have the right to get a little messy in order that some may come to know you we thank you for that. We give you all glory, honor, and praise in your name. Amen.